Hello, welcome to another episode of These Little Moments Podcast. I'm your host, your online health and wellness coach, Ryan Kassam. And in this episode, I have the absolute pleasure of interviewing Alan Aragon. Uh, Alan is an absolute legend in the fitness and nutrition space. He often dispels a lot of the bullshit that is found going on in today's society and even before that. Um, So he's a pioneer of evidence-based nutrition, and his goal is to help you and professionals gain the knowledge and skills to reach their potential. And he's been doing it ever since 1992. That's right, before dial-up internet was even a gosh damn thing. So I really hope you enjoy this episode. We talk about a lot, a lot. We talk about what makes, you know, what makes some, or what gives somebody the fountain of youth, right? And and what does that actually look like in, in how can you attain that? You know, how do you formulate your, your weight loss goals? You know, we talk about protein, how much should you consume, um, based off your goals and, and what are key factors for, for maintaining the weight that you lose? We even talk about stone cold, Steve Austin. And, uh, we get into some personal notes on Alan's life and how he's made huge strides in his own life for his health and his mental health. So without further ado, really hope you enjoy the episode. I'll see you in there. shit i wasn't even recording here we go now we're recording <laughs> we were talking shit about plants but uh but yeah so i appreciate you uh you hopping on because i know i sent like a lifeline out on uh on good old threads to be like hey yeah dream interview to to interview the alan aragon so i appreciate you agreeing to do this of course man of course it's a pleasure and it's an honor to know that that people find my work valuable and so um you know, um, being able to actually give back in quotes or at least clarify some things and, and reach some people and improve lives. Yeah. It's, it's always a great honor. So yeah, yeah thank you. Oh, dude. My, my, hey, thank you. <laughs> sure. But the, uh, so I, I think probably a great opportunity uh, for you to sort of introduce yourself and, and sort of go over, you know, how you have been helping people for years and then i have a shit ton of questions i have written down for you because uh yeah I, like i said big fan been been following you for a long time now but yeah the floor is yours please in- introduce yourself all right cool so i'm one of the four fathers of the evidence-based movement in the fitness industry and that's mainly because of how long i've been at this and so i've been in the field since 1992 probably been active on the internet since about 2000. And so here we are like two and a half, three decades later, uh, the evidence-based movement and the fitness industry really only started about 10, 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. And prior fitness information was being filtered down towards professionals and into the public through pretty much celebrities, <laughs> celebrity, yeah. uh, individuals and celebrity doctors um a lot of quacks since then at least there's a couple generations a generation one solid generation of evidence-based fitness practitioners whether they be coaches or dietitians um trainers researchers and even physicians uh, just a generation of those folks who really kind of caught the wave of this. And, and it's actually a thing now to care about science. And I'm happy to say I'm one of the, one of the uh, harbingers of that movement in the wow. fitness industry. So that's, that's kind of the big picture of who I am. What I do right now yeah. is I'm a researcher and uh, my colleagues and I, we write the, we, we sort of peer review <laughs> the industry Um we we do the randomized control trials, we do the meta analyses, and we write the narrative reviews and the systematic reviews uh, on basically what's going on and what we think we know as right. far as nutrition and training and uh, supplementation and and all that for the purposes of uh, improving body composition or health or athletic performance. And so that's in a nutshell, that's, that's kind of who I am. 
So you are the, you are the the founding father, and also you know you know your founding father when you've been doing this since dial up internet. <laughs> oh, yeah. Dude, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, <laughs> it's really amazing when I see that a lot of my audience was born. They weren't born yet when I started this stuff, so yeah. it's it's pretty incredible. Yeah, I mean, again, a testament to your your consistency, which you preach a lot too, with with a lot of your practices, and uh, you consistently showing up to you know dispute the bullshit, and and because that's a lot how I grew up too is you know bodybuilding magazines like you'll see at the barber shop and like the celebrities diet and how they lost weight doing this or anything like that, so. It uh like literally like since you've been doing this probably in the last like ten years ago is probably when I started getting into more evidence based uh cool. like research and all that as well so it's it's been huge so I was going That's over great. this is like my first my first question is I was just going over your website quick and I saw some of your clients you worked with and the one that yeah. stuck out to me most was Stone Cold Steve Austin and I was like holy yeah. shit yeah <laughs> yeah could you yeah. could you please like like uh, entertain my inner child who like grew up like watching WWE. How was that working? Oh, like how like it was, it was unbelievable. It was honestly, it was literally and figuratively unbelievable. And this was, uh, wow, it's been actually a decade since I I my first made contact or since he first made contact with me and yeah, uh, he just emailed me and he he titled the email. Stone Cold Steve Austin. That was the title of his email. Yeah, I love that. uh, (laughs) You know, dude. So, I mean, if you get an email like that, your first (laughs) reaction is, what the the hell is this, you know? And so I cracked open the email and it looked really authentic and it drops a phone number at the end of the email. Yeah. And I'm like, oh my God. And and the thing about it is... um, I had on my website at the time, this is 2012, that um, I was pretty much, you know, unavailable to take on any further clients. I'm unavailable for client work. And he knew that emailing me. And so in the email, he said, could you please make an exception for me? Wow. And I was like, oh. Dude, Stone Cold is telling me yeah. to make an exception. I got, I got to make yes. an exception. <laughs> and so, dude, it was really, really unbelievable because um, when I got on the phone with him, I, I just could not believe I was talking to him. Yeah, you know, and and he had this, you know, this nice cordial tone. Um, that and some, it's sort of a voice that you don't necessarily hear on tv and stuff okay yeah but when his dogs were barking and he told them to shut up (laughs) he sounded like his ring persona (laughs) it was great man it was amazing he was calling me from you know the broken skull ranch he's got in texas yeah yeah and it wasn't dude i i was like i was in disbelief i'm like so how did you find me like you know who referred you who do who do i need to thank for for you to refer Uh, um and he's like I referred myself. I did my research and you're the guy. Wow. <laughs> Let's go. He's all, he's all, you don't think, uh, people don't think I, 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 uh, you know, troll and, and, and lurk those, those bodybuilding forums, but I do. And, and right. you're the guy. Wow. <laughs> and so I kind of knew that I kind of felt like, damn, I guess I must be the guy. And this yeah. was in 2012. Right. So yeah, it was, dude, it was, it was incredible. He, he's a, he's a really cool dude. Stone Cold is a really, really uh, decent guy. Yeah, that's fucking odd. That's like, that's a dream right there to be like, holy crap, to work with Stone Cold and just like to, even just to, like you said, to hear him like sound like Stone Cold telling his dogs to be quiet is just like, yeah. <laughs> you probably would have been good after that call. <laughs> Dude, I, I, I was, uh, that's definitely the most stunning and like starstruck Ooh. I've, I've ever been. I swear to stun. Good. Stone yeah, yeah, yeah. He literally, I was stone cold stunned. I was stone cold stunned. I it, see. I, yeah, it, it honestly, it took like a full day for it to sink in for me yeah. that that oh god, I, 
I'm going to be working with, with Steve Austin here, you know? Yeah. So, Oh dude. Was, yeah. It's really, really quite something. Yeah. I would have been giddy. That's amazing. Um, yeah. So that was like the first thing I was like, Holy shit. Stone Cold amazing. <laughs> the legend of Alan Aragon continues, but the, uh, so <laughs> I did see you make a post the other day too. And you were talking about um, sort of like the fountain of youth. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah. what kind of gives, what is like the actual fountain of you? Cause we, you know, it's always something we're always searching for. Can you sort of talk about based on your research and, and, and your own experience too, what, what is the fountain of youth that we're all chasing and, and how do we actually get it? Oh gosh. You know, um, the fountain of youth is, is really trying to preserve just cognitive and, and physical functionality at, at 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 your peak i mean people mm-hmm. tend to peak out in their physical performance strength and endurance from their early 20s to their uh mid 30s that's kind of like that a peak period um and, and some some literature would say you know early 30s is when you're you start your decline in terms of strength mm-hmm. and and endurance and functionality and all that um, but people start showing signs of age typically, and, and this is in the general public, people start showing signs of physical decline in their 30s, wow. as early as their 30s. And then in their 40s, they really start picking up some momentum, and then that momentum really accelerates in, in their 50s. And so the fountain of youth is, is really just trying to chase some sort of firewall against the the phenomenon of of aging badly you know um it, li- living in southern california just you know the sun aging you skin wise is such mm-hmm. a tremendous thing over here yeah. you know um when when i was uh when i was in practice in person practice with nutritional counseling and stuff uh this was you know back in like the 2010s and and 2000s and and the 2010s well you people the people who could afford me (laughs) they took vacations around the world all the time they were out in the sun all the time and the sun really nails you man um Mm -hmm. and and so i've been somewhat kind of uh inadvertently or unintentionally uh juvenated by being stuck inside and, and working at my computer. And so mm-hmm. my age kind of, <laughs> the skin aging part for me kind of stopped. <laughs> yeah, really kind of early. Yeah, and, and so so maybe the fountain of youth is just, you know, sitting at your computer and, and <laughs> search, searching through PubMed. <laughs> Growing a slow hunchback. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. No, but in, in, in all seriousness, I mean, yeah. you know, we talk about the fountain of youth. It's a combination of, of of training and good nutrition, and the underrated um, aspect of training would be resistance training for sure, and um, that's because resistance training, as we both know, it increases and preserves muscle size and strength and, and bone density, and it uh, benefits a just a wide range of metabolic processes, all of the bodily systems really, and it can also improve cardio respiratory fitness. Now, in quotes, cardio, it can do some of those things, but uh, it doesn't necessarily cross over into the muscle size and strength side of things. At best, we're hoping it doesn't interfere with that. But when we look at bang for the buck, the fountain of youth, if we were to pick one of the two types of exercise, it would be resistance training. So resistance training is kind of the non-negotiable foundational thing. Yeah. And um, and then you, you know, you decide essentially how far you want to push cardiorespiratory fitness on top of on top of that. And then you individualize it from there. Right. Absolutely. And I can I can relate a lot because I I just moved to Southern California. And sorry, sorry if my connection Oh, your connection's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been fine. Yeah, I think in the beginning it was a little, a little shaky. Oh, okay, you're good now. Um, okay. But I, I just moved okay. to Southern Cali uh, in March, so I moved to oh, San wow. Diego. Yeah. So, I, <laughs> where did you come in from? I came from Connecticut. Okay. Okay. How, yeah. how are you liking San Diego? San Diego's been. Uh, 
Honestly, because I was in, I went to LA last year for a couple weeks just to sort of feel it out and see if it was uh, more like my vibe and and if I can enjoy it. And I just kind of felt, it didn't feel very, um, how do you say, like, I I wasn't even feeling, I didn't feel like I could make genuine uh, connections there. I just didn't feel like it was very homey. And then when I came to San Diego, it felt much more slowed down. So like very like reminiscent of like my suburban life in Connecticut. Uh, and uh, yeah, so I, I moved here in March. I want to say the only thing I don't like about San Diego or maybe California in general is the pizza is it's terrible. It's just, That's funny. That's hilarious. It's, it's been tough to navigate. <laughs> but, uh, but it's beautiful overall. Like, I, like, obviously, like you're just saying, like, and I got here when it was like the biggest downpour for California. I think overall, like it was raining. Um, but since July, it's been gorgeous every day. So I think that's been like a, a interesting for me, thing for me to navigate where it's like East Coast, like it could snow in May, right? Like it's just, mm-hmm. that's how like crazy mm-hmm. it is. But, uh, but it's interesting having like consistent, beautiful weather every single day. Um, but yeah, but I'm I'm like you as well, where I'm at my computer most of the day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, congrats on on making it to California. You know, Thank um, you, man. a lot of people are actually moving out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but hey, you you got here. But San Diego is, uh, you know, it's a, it's a dream come true for a lot of folks. So mm-hmm. congrats Absolutely. on that. Thank you very much. Um, so so we talked about how you know, fountain of youth is, is really, it's really is how you define it and how, and how you want to live longevity wise. Right. And you mentioned resistance mm-hmm. training being one of the biggest things. And I can 1000% agree. Cause I actually, as a part-time thing, I train geriatric patient patients who are in like their seventies, eighties and nineties. And that's like the biggest thing I tell people is like you one day you're going to be like begging just to get out of this chair. Right. And, and, but you can do that if you start strength training now, right? That's great. Um, mm-hmm. So, so I, I, one thousand agree. Like strength training, and you also mentioned not being in the sun as much, so we don't look like raisins. I think that's important. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there's nutritional aspects too, as well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure we'll we'll get into that Absolutely. depending on the, your question. So, yeah, for sure. And then, so my, my next question is, uh, how? Because you you also talk a lot about how it's important to not only lose weight sustainably and and utilize some sort of flexible dieting, you know, for better diet adherence. But mm-hmm. how would you how would you sort of formulate somebody's weight loss goal from the beginning and help them sort of frame them right. so it's set up for that sustainable diet adherence for weight loss? Sure, I would. First, start with a realistic goal, realistic mm-hmm. time frame. And so with goals, with weight loss goals, the aggressive range would be one to two pounds a week. Mm-hmm. Or you can look at it as half a percent to a full percent of somebody's body weight reduced on a weekly basis. Mm-hmm. And so that's actually relatively rapid in the large scheme. It's not technically classified as like rapid weight loss, but... Mm-hmm. One to two pounds a week is a lot of weight to lose. I mean, when you think of that amounting to, gosh, you know, roughly 50 to 100 pounds a year, right. most people don't know who've gained an excessive amount of body weight and reached a point of obesity or severe obesity mm-hmm. for them to take care of their body, excess body weight issues within a year is, is actually quite spectacular Mm. and and so um so yeah that that would be that would be the thing to look at as far as time frame goes and i would even uh go as far as to say um half of that rate is still a a robust rate of weight loss right so so if somebody takes you know gosh if somebody takes six months Mm. to lose 24 or takes a 12 months even to lose 24 to 48 pounds. That's a heck of a lot of weight to lose within that time frame. So right. set the goal, um, set the time frame to either one to two pounds a week or half of that. So half a pound to a full pound a week. Mm-hmm. And then put that uh put that target on the calendar. Mm-hmm. Uh that way you have 
you give somebody um, something to kind of concretely focus on and mm-hmm. prioritize their habits around and build their program around. Right. And so that would be the first thing to look at. And the other sustainability factor would be just basically looking at how the person prefers to eat in terms of uh, carbohydrate and fat proportion. You know, like some people just gravitate more towards a lower carb model and others towards a higher carb model. And it just has to do with a number of factors, but individual preference would be the biggest one dictating that. And of course, whatever their athletic goals and or body compositional goals might be, especially if it's a hypertrophy thing, if I may diverge into a little bit of a tangent here, somebody has a, somebody has a major goal of gaining muscle, that's Mm -hmm. the primary goal, then they're going to have a not a, you know, they're they're not going to be shooting themselves in the foot completely necessarily by going keto, but they're just going to make it significantly harder on themselves. If they want to get huge, take up take up right. as much space as possible, you know, for a bulking phase, for example, if you're going right. to do a keto bulk, well, mm, that's a highly inefficient way to do it. Yeah. And, um, yeah. So individualize the uh, carbohydrate and fat proportion and, um, yeah, and there's many other things to individualize from there. You can individualize food selection, linearity of the diet, um, the food distribution, meal distribution within within a day, you know, right. or within a week. You can individualize the hedonic approach, like the you know the cheat meal or cheat day approach. Yep. You can individualize that, um, and yeah, all all of those things can be individualized down to individualizing the way that people um, hold themselves accountable. In terms of tracking and uh, journaling and mm-hmm. and that sort of thing, and also you can individualize just how quantitative you want people to be versus mm-hmm. qualitative and habit based. You know, right. like some people uh, enjoy the micromanagement approach of keeping track of calories and grams, and other people just really don't click with that right. at all. So there's so there's other options for those folks. Right, and I always like that about your approach too, where it's like you're not you're not like, I've never used this word before, but gung ho <laughs> on like one uh, strategy, right? You're, you're very open-minded to like, you have, there's, there's multiple paths you can get to get to your end goal. Right. There, yeah. And, and I right. think, and I think that's what a lot of people struggle with too, is, you know, they get cornered into like, you, you brought up keto, like they get cornered into keto. I think that's the only way they can lose this weight or anything like that. Um, so how would you say that? Like, cause you wrote a book, called flexible dieting but how how would you say having a more flexible approach allows for better diet adherence um it because it lets people know that life is kind of fluid and and non-linear and the path towards the goal can be winding and it can have starts and stops and it can have it's not just a black and white dichotomous thing where you're either on the program or you're completely blown it type of thing. Mm-hmm. So um, a flexible approach or a flexible attitude towards the program is a lot more sustainable because you don't feel like you're trying to go a hundred miles an hour and trying to do a hundred percent, a hundred percent of the time. Right. You know, there, there's always some room for, deviation and that's just how life is you know life is a seasonal thing um life is a thing that has diversions in it but as long as you kind of bounce your way or wind your way towards the goal you'll get there mm-hmm. so that's kind of an overarching attitude about yeah. flexible flexible dieting versus sort of rigid dieting where you've got this idea in your mind that you, you either have to do it perfect or just can't do it at all right yeah absolutely and and i think and that's perfect for, you know, understand that, that if you want to do this, I, I guess my next question for you is like, so when people are trying to understand, like, I think most people place too much focus on losing the weight, right? But mm-hmm. yeah. what, what are key factors for somebody actually maintaining the weight that's lost? Mm. Okay, so maintaining a weight that's lost kind of begins with attitude and perception. So maintenance is not this range where if you're up a pound, you're failing. And if you're down a pound, you're failing from your, your maintenance. Yeah. So maintenance can be, <clears throat> can be a dynamic thing. And we're, we're talking about fluctuations 
in body weight through the course of the year of like a, mm-hmm. a year of maintenance that are two to three percent in in either direction mm-hmm. and um you know like people who are such perfectionists and who are so fixated on just a rigid type of mindset will look at that two to three percent fluctuation that i'm recommending and go oh my gosh you're telling me i could you know what if I, what if i'm like six pounds up or five pounds down or whatever yeah that's fine yeah. <laughs> that's your deviation yeah. through the year Right. No big deal. It's honestly, it's no big deal at all. Yeah. And so people have to realize that body composition, I mean, those fluctuations are not necessarily going to be all body fat. You know, it right. can be sometimes it's all lean mass, sometimes it's just water weight. Mm-hmm. It, it's literally just just water weight. And and so and it's perfectly fine to have a seasonal, a seasonally fluctuating body composition. Mm-hmm. And the whole goal that would bolster sustainability is to make sure that you look forward to your day, you look forward to your routine mm-hmm. in terms of both the dietary part as well as the exercise part. Mm-hmm. If you can structure things and if you can develop a plan and find out where you can exist and actually look forward to your meals and look forward to your training, then it doesn't become easy. It's never easy, but it it becomes livable and sustainable. And, you know, you can ride out the decades really well with, with the sort of plan that you look forward to the the programming elements. Right. And it kind of goes back to how you were saying how it just, it just feels like you're just living right where it just feels very, it almost doesn't feel like when you first started losing that weight, where it feels like that you're grinding to get these new habits changed, you're trying to ins- install all these new things. It almost almost feels like that second language where you're able to communicate a little bit more. It's just maybe the mental challenges that come with, yeah, I did gain six pounds since I lost this weight. Like, how do I deal with this? And actually, it doesn't mean shit. Like, it's very, it's very much okay. Yeah. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yes. So my my other question for you, too, is because uh, we talked about how your 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 wife picked out some amazing plants for you in the back that you and I have no idea what it is, but it's nice looking back. <laughs> but I see you all the time and I, and I love it because I, I, I always look for like examples of like of healthy relationships. And, and you I feel like you and your wife have a good physical healthy relationship in terms of like you have you t- you talk about going through the seasons of you've had to dial back training because of kids or, or life mm-hmm. or seasons of life. Mm-hmm. Um, could you touch a little bit on sort of your, the seasons of life you've been through mm-hmm. and how you've had to sort of adapt your training, adapt your nutrition, and also maybe adapt, you know, your, your relationship life to sort of fit each season. Sure, dude. Sure. So <clears throat> I got really lucky because uh, my wife, Jenna, she is, um, an incredibly good person and she's she's everything that uh, most people aspire to be so she's obviously beautiful right um but she's also a really good leader a really good friend she's brilliant and intelligent wise and and um i just kind of struck the lottery you know with with her and i uh, i can only hope for that for people who want to have a good relationship with somebody because like I was honestly, I was a difficult one in the relationship, mm-hmm. uh, especially <clears throat> from age, I want to say to, 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 to mid thirties to my mid forties um, where I had developed a terrible drinking habit. Mm-hmm. And so um, she put up with that and she was very patient and tolerant and everything required to you know hold together uh in a relationship with somebody who was just drank like an absolute fish right um and so i abruptly stopped cold turkey almost five years ago on august 25th it will have been five years yeah thanks thanks holy shit yeah five years and um uh it, you know, just, just like looking back on the years that I was drinking uh, to excess, it just impacts 
everything from sleep. And when your sleep is impacted, your training is impacted. And when your training is impacted, you can't um, make the kind of progress you want to make. And also that all of the other things, excessive alcohol intake adversely affects all bodily systems. Mm. Um, and I'm talking everything from the physical to the mental, the, the cognitive, everything. And so actually wiping that out of, uh, of, of the, the routine has been kind of this unexpected uh, anti-aging, uh, age in reverse type of thing for me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, but yeah, but back to the question you were asking, she just, she just seriously, she put up with, with a lot. And um, uh, I don't really know what else to tell you other than find the right girl, bro. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna take notes right there. <laughs> good, good, uh, one second. Uh. <laughs> Just yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, and, and but that's something. It really, it really stood out to me because because you you the sh- photos you showed like the for- before and after both you and your wife, you can just tell that there's a a big mental shift just from the photos, you can tell there's a big mental shift. And also, like we said, the physical shift from both of your health from those previous years. So that really stood out to me because I was like, holy shit. Like, like we talked about the first question we were talking about, like fountain of youth. I was just like, mm-hmm. my man's Benjamin Button over here, like de-aging backwards. I was like, yeah. 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 Well, I, I have a lot to be happy about and just sort of emotional state. It plays into um, the aging process a lot, I think. And I think attitude and optimism plays in a lot. Like I am, um, I could be negative. Anybody could be negative and pessimistic and just right. pissed off. But uh, why even, why even, you know, try to go on with your day? Why even live if you're going to live that way? It's like, right. there's really, there's really no point. Mm-hmm. Um, I, my attitude is, is this, it's like, I'm going to do whatever I can to try to improve as much as I can um, from here on out. And that has been my attitude for a number of years. And, you know, when, when you, when you start training better, you start um, training smarter and you keep a certain eating routine, um, things incredibly, seemingly the aging process kind of stops. It it really literally stops. I, I mean, and in some aspects it can reverse. Like I am stronger yeah. now at 51 than I was at 25. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I'm, I feel sharper mentally now than, yeah. than ever, than, than ever. Right. But the, the, the brain is something that you can train as well. And so I kind of have cornered myself into um, doing a whole lot of critical thought, a lot of thinking and creating and writing and stuff. As you know, it, I do the, a monthly research review, yeah. which forces forces me to kind of train my my brain, right? <laughs> like 100%. maybe over overtrain my mind, but it it's fine. <laughs> I think that the the mind is something that uh, you can try to overtrain, but you never will necessarily overtrain it. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. yeah, there's a there's a lot of stuff wrapped up in that, man. Yeah, well, like I said, that's I like I can I, you can just see it, which is I thought was amazing, and uh, <laughs> you know the. Like and like you said, that's that's part of the reason why I actually ventured out to to start training more people outside of my computer space because I found myself just through computer work. It wasn't sort of uh, like I just felt myself becoming uh, not less smarter, but just like less um, inapt to have like conversations and like uh, like it, it was important for me to get back out into like that social environment so that I can communicate more and, and just like my, and since then it's, it's helped me help my memory, my short-term memory, all that, which is actually was kind of blew my mind. It was actually kind of scary at a little point, but yeah, I mean, I can totally attest to that too. Um, the, you, you talk, you going through everything that you've done, you've talked about a lot of shit. You talk about, <laughs> you talk about aspartame, you talk about protein, you, like you say, yeah. you talk about, you know, flexible dieting, diet adherence, uh, you know, what would you say out of everything you do, what would you say is like something that you, you found to be most passionate about 
as of late or even, you know, throughout your entire journey? Um, what kind of, what kind of, what subject has just been the most passionate for you that's helped a lot of people? Jeez, man, that is such a, <clears throat> that is such a tough question. Um, I think that maybe like, or just just pick some of the ones that, that pop up. Yeah. Getting people to not obsess over small details mm. of their diet and, and, and their training programs. And, and with diet, it's so easy for people to think at, to actually think that there's this perfect selection of foods that you can eat to, to be as fit and as shredded or jacked or healthy as possible. Um, that's, that's a false, that's a false thing. And then some people think that there's a perfect timing scheme for when you eat what through the course of the day in order to hit your body composition goals. Right. Like I, I still get messages from people saying, you know, sh should I position most of my carbs at this exact point in the day or that exact point in the day? And I'm, yeah. and I'm like, okay, so, well, what's the goal? What, what level are you competing at? What medal are you trying to go for? Are you trying to go for bronze or silver <laughs> or gold in the Olympics? Or are you at the national level, state level? Like what's going on here? Like, yeah. no, I just, I just want to get, you know, I just want to get in shape. I'm like, dude, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you know, person doesn't even have performance goals, you know? So there's right. really not a concern of where the hell to put the carbs. It's like, right. put them where you can consume them and enjoy consuming them most. Right. And that way you're going to be able to stick to the planet. And, and when people realize that it really sets a light bulb off in, in people's minds and, and they go, gosh, there, I really should just be doing what my personal preference sits the best with, right. because that's, what's going to sustain this program. Mm -hmm. So you can tell anybody to, I'm going to, you know, pick on, on the carnivore thing for just one second. <laughs> <laughs> you can tell anybody that all you're going to eat is cow flesh and salt. Right. And drink some, drink some water too. Right. And, and testicles. And I, well, you know, the testicles can come in when you, <laughs> when you really want to, you know. You want to get a good workout. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> If you really want to unlock, when you're ready to unlock right. certain potentials, then you your kick primal, the testicles right? in. Yeah. yeah, exactly. You're inner primal. Dude, dude, you can tell anybody who, let's say somebody is overweight or obese and say, okay, that's what you're going to eat. You're just going to eat meat and you can salt it and you drink yeah. water. Of course, they're going to see spectacular results in a very short amount of time. Of course they are. But is it sustainable? And yeah. what might be the long-term consequences? Mm -hmm. And the answers to those questions are highly inconvenient for the majority of the population. Right. Um, and so, and, and I understand that there's different incarnations of the carnivore diet. And it's... <laughs> <laughs> I, I have go to on now. Go on. <laughs> let it loose baby <laughs> i do have to laugh and, and yeah yeah and, and and so sustainability is is really something that i think i've i've been able to to teach people and mm -hmm. and people are really kind of astounded to learn that there's such a wide range of possibilities and how people can eat and be able to thrive and be healthy and perform well. Um, like not everybody has to be eating um, sweet potatoes. You know, not everybody has to be eating boiled chicken breast and, 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 you know, and, and raw uh, uh, spinach, you know what I mean? And so people just kind of, uh, I think where I've made the most impact is, is kind of absolving people of the idea this perfect diet and the, this perfect timing of things and this perfect food selection and macronutrient breakdown that everybody needs to be on. And, and, and I think there's really good reasons for people's personal preferences um, because it's wired within their individual. Um, okay. Technically 
humans have basically the same physiology, but individuals uh, across the broad spectrum of humanity, they have highly varying physiological responses to environmental stimuli. And so finding out what those individual responses are and, and honoring personal preference, which is wired towards individual response. I think that's really important thing to respect and, and, and honor. And that way you'll be able to sustain a program. Absolutely. I, I wrote down two things. <laughs> I, I wrote down two nicknames for you just from what you just said. Oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> one, I, one I, I called you the mental real estate agent. Cause I just feel like, uh, like, through your work, you, you've helped a lot of people sort of clear up that mental real estate that they have like taking on in their heads, oh, cool. right? Because okay. it's like you said, they're 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 focusing too much on the nuances rather than the macro picture, right? Um, and I also called you the gardener because <laughs> you're you're helping people who are like stuck in the weeds, who are just like <laughs> picking the weed whacker, <laughs> the weed whacker. There we go. <laughs> That's funny. But uh, but I think that's so true though. I mean, it's, and I love, I love how your first question to that person was, oh yeah, like, are you competing in the Olympics this year? Like what's going on? <laughs> it's, yeah. so, it's so true. It's, it's, you're thinking about the 0.1% where this actually matters for this high level athlete and not thinking about, well, what can I, what am I even having for dinner tonight? Like, I don't even have that planned out. Right. Yeah. So I think that's absolutely yeah. amazing. Um. And and I like how you worded everything too, because it's at the end of the day, it's it's whatever your goal might be, it's about sustainability. And I guess my question for you is because we we throw this word a lot around, right? And something I throw out a lot around too. I guess how how do you, how do you sort of define what sustainability is? Something you can live with for decades instead of weeks or months. Mm -hmm. So if people think in terms of decades, um, you know, then, then it kind of opens up that picture because it is really like anybody, anybody can sustain a program for up to like three ish months mm -hmm. and it starts getting pretty tough at six months. And most people cannot sustain a, a drastic you know, fundamental paradigm shift in their plan for, for over a year. Um, and this is true with low fat as well as, as ketogenic dieting. Right. And of course there are going to be certain people on, you know, on, on, on one end of, of the, uh, the curve mm -hmm. who are able to sustain a severe level of carb restriction indefinitely mm -hmm. you know but we can't apply those those proclivities to the the minority we can't just overgeneralize things and so um yeah sustainability is kind of like what can you do from here on out mm -hmm. you know we're not talking about just a family reunion that happens annually where you try to impress your cousin joe or something like that right. you know what i mean right. um we're talking about how, what can you do where you can just walk around in for life as, as far as your routine goes? Mm. So I, I think it's important for people to be able to settle into that because a lot of folks get frustrated when they fail and it has a pretty negative psychological impact to always be yo-yoing up and down or, or how, what they call weight cycling in, right. in the literature. Right. And a lot of it is because people have incorrect expectations of progress and they're just not educated on the facts as to look individual um preferences matter individual goals matter and the better you can align your diet and your routine with your individual preferences then the better you'll be able to sustain it uh and and so it's it's a little too simple that people overlook that mm, yeah i mean 1000 percent. i think uh, and that I, I think that's that's true too in terms of how because i'm sure there's been points in in your your life where you know what once was sustainable for you has had to adapt 
over the years too, like depending on whatever, like you said, environmental thing was going on or relationship stimulus or anything like that. Um, what would you say is like, whether it's through research or maybe through working with your own clients, what, what would you say is like the biggest reason somebody uh, uh, fails to lead that sustainable lifestyle? It's wrong perceptions mm-hmm. of um, of food. So this whole perception that certain foods are, are really evil, evil things, bad things, and certain foods are kind of super foods or angelic mm-hmm. foods. Right. Um, that, that whole perception, that dichotomous perception where you ascribe, I guess, morality to, mm-hmm. to foods that's, that really shackles people down. Yeah. Uh, and it, it's what perpetuates among, I, there's a lot of factors involved with the, the binging cycle that mm-hmm. kind of go beyond food actually, but mm-hmm. food and perception of food is a tremendous contributor to people not being able to get out of their own way. Yeah. You know, if if people can finally look at foods as just stuff that fuels your body energy wise or nutrient wise, um, and they're either going to be part of your personal food selection preference or, or they're not, and it's no big deal. Um, until people can kind of get wrap their heads around the idea that a cookie is yes, you can call it a junk food, but it doesn't have to be something that ruins your whole plan. Mm. You know, like, like there are foods that you can call counterproductive, but you, but paradoxically people have to realize that everything can fit in a diet, even the junk foods or the indulgence foods or the counterproductive foods, mm-hmm. all of those things can fit in the diet. And if you are the type of individual who wants to fit them in the diet, mm-hmm. then go for it and give it a shot and see what your thresholds are with that. Yeah. Um, because the majority of the general population um, works better with a certain allotment of foods that are off the beaten path of, you know, being clean and perfect and, right. and, uh, and perfectly acceptable within this paradigm of, um, wholesome and, uh, I guess, um, <laughs> not politically correct foods, but, right. um, fitness, ideologically correct foods. Right. <laughs> you can go outside of that bubble. Yeah. And still and still live. And and the evidence for that is pretty abundant. Yeah. And it even, you know, there's even some interesting research showing how uh dieters were able to sustain their diet more and sustain their weight loss better and not drop out of the program when they were allowed to include three servings of bread mm. in their diet versus wow. the absence, the absence of it. Right, so right. that that particular study was a feather in the cap uh for mm-hmm. for bread right but it applies to it applies to all foods really like if somebody likes chocolate if they love chocolate yeah and then you can find an allotment for the person to have chocolate mm-hmm. regularly <clears throat> then they will have a higher chance of sustaining their program than if you were to say okay no chocolate at all ever and this is exactly what the foods that you're allowed to eat and you are not allowed to eat these foods. Some people might be able to sustain that for a few months. Mm-hmm. Who knows? Maybe a couple of years. Right. But the system breaks down when people feel deprived enough for a long enough time. Mm-hmm. Then it breaks down. Uh, there's kind of a this idea that moderation is not a good thing because it opens people up to trigger foods. And, um, you know, moderation is kind of this gateway to, uh, to bad habits. Okay. Well, that might be true with cocaine and heroin, uh, <laughs> and you know, uh, any, any kind of, uh, mind altering <laughs> altering drug, right? Crack. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and all, all of the, uh, illicit or at least formally uh, illicit drugs, you know, like right. cannabis, al- alcohol, all of that stuff. Um, Maybe true with that. 
but with foods, um, that's not necessarily the case yeah. with everybody. Like it, it's it's a different game. I, I hate to put foods in the same category as drugs, right? Because they're they're completely different animals, different magnitudes of effect, um, different dependence slash with withdrawal profiles right i mean the ma- the magnitudes are just so incredibly different it's like the difference between like um you know uh, a bicycle and, and a jet powered um <laughs> a, a rocket powered car you know oh shit yeah and, and and so you can't look at the food and drugs in, in the same way right so um so yeah yeah <laughs> Well, I think I think that's so true because that's often the counterpoint to moderation is, uh, well, I I can't do that, right? Like I can't have these foods in moderation because I'll just eat too many of them. Or I mean, you even started getting to the point where it's like, you know, a lot of people will claim like sugar addictions and all these other things too. Um, but as you as you just stated, there's a there's a or maybe you can even talk on this. There's that physiological difference between drug addictions to like alcohol or nicotine and stuff like that compared to actual food addictions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that that's a raging debate too. I mean, it's mm-hmm. controversial there. There's a yeah. pro food addiction side of the argument. And then there's the anti food addiction side of the argument. And because mm-hmm. um, it's hard to disentangle the body's survival need for food mm-hmm. um, versus painting the picture that okay we're well we can be addicted to certain foods um and so yeah it it is a difficult thing and within the within the population of binge eaters and people who kind of classically meet those those diagnostic criteria there is a tendency for binges to happen in the later part of the day and the binges are typically carb and fat based uh and not necessarily protein based nobody's sitting there binging on a pile of chicken breasts right right egg whites (laughs) right yeah (laughs) yeah exactly exactly and so um there are are things to consider if you're working with somebody who who has those kind of issues but um it still comes down to a perception thing i i've never met somebody with um either binge eating disorder or or close to it who doesn't view certain foods as off limits and they've been almost traumatized against eating those foods because they've been told and convinced and sold on the idea that certain foods are are in quotes bad or in quotes evil right absolutely And, and so kind of deprogramming people from that perception and that thought process, I think is the beginning of um, absolving people and freeing them from those binging type of habits. Mm -hmm. No, I I agree. I think, I think that is the key to start, you know, incorporating some sort of moderation and also, like you said, absolving them of this guilt from having this food, this food and anything like that. Um, I know we got to hop off in a few minutes. So I have, one more question. <laughs> you, you, I, I, it just flew by, you know, yeah. we, oh, yeah. you can, you can ask me like, you can ask me a few more if you want. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, 30 minutes. No, I have a, okay. I, I have a couple more questions then. Okay. <laughs> yeah, and no I'll, problem. I'll wrap up with one more. Um, so protein also has talked about a ton, right. And I, I and recently it's, I've seen you make a, um, you've talked about a lot more recent research, how uh, we actually don't need to consume as much protein as perhaps we maybe the bro science has told us in the past. Can you touch on that a little bit sort of protein? How much are we consuming too much? How much should we actually consume based mm-hmm. on goals, all that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so everything is goal dependent as far as dosing for, for any. Mm-hmm. And so, if somebody has, uh, usually people who care about protein amount are mainly concerned with putting on muscle. Yeah. <laughs> and so people whose main goal is to put on muscle are 
going to be shortchanging themselves if they consume less than 1.6 grams per kilogram of body weight, which is about 0.7 grams per pound of body weight. And um, there is this whole kind of sub argument within there is, okay, do we program protein needs according to units of total body weight or, 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 you know, units of lean mass. And so technically you would go lean mass, but then there's issues with actually accurately estimating that. So the way around that problem is to program protein targets on your goal body weight. Mm. And so that's a close enough proxy to, um, to lean mass plus, uh, you know, a little safety buffer there. And so, so the, the kind of the catch all protein target for most populations would be 1.6 grams per kilogram of body weight. Uh, what, what's kind of interesting is um, people in the fitness space who have a tough time reaching that will try to argue against it and say, oh, you know, there's there's literature showing that you do just fine at, at 1.2, 1.3. Yeah, well, there is. Okay, there is. But it's still better at 1.6. <laughs> Even mm-hmm. if you look at that small margin, it's still better. And if somebody has a specific goal of optimization, yeah. And wanting to break above the, the the average significantly, yeah, then you'd be doing a disservice by recommending 1.3, 1. 1. 1.4. Mm-hmm. So take them to a minimum of 1.6, and we see good things all the way up to a gram per pound uh, in non-dieting um, individuals. Right, and and so observationally, we see good things happening even above that. Um, mm. <laughs> and and so so yeah. I, I, just simplifying the protein question yeah and there is pushback against the upper end um but that doesn't matter because the pushback gets shot down by evidence showing that in dieters you can in quotes overfeed them with protein and some really interesting things happen where they don't gain body fat Uh, And this is in free living conditions. Uh, In lab conditions, yeah, you can impose a caloric surplus and put the subjects on surveillance and um, watch them gain body fat, whether the surplus is based on protein, carbohydrate, or fat. But in free living conditions, in individuals who are on um, an exercise program, specifically progressive resistance training, Mm -hmm. then you can throw a ton of protein at them and they won't gain weight. They won't gain fat wow. and they won't gain muscle either necessarily, but it's a pretty cool tactic for dieters. Right. Um, yeah. And, and so, um, so yeah, that's the interesting thing with protein. That's the, that's the, the sweet spot that range 1.6 to 2.2 grams per kilogram of body weight or in imperial terms, 0.7 grams to 1.0 grams per pound. Um, and then most populations will be served well and, and optimized within that range. Well, I'm going to be consuming 1.0 grams per pound to optimize myself. You know what, man? You you can take the bro out of the gym. You can't can't take the gym out of the bro. You're telling me I could get 0.1% more muscle? I will do it. I'm I'm right there with you, brother. But anyways, so my last question for you, and again, I appreciate you being on this. Um, So... The, the name of this podcast is called These Low Moments Podcast, right? And uh, I, I coined it because I was actually at um, our mutual friend, Jordan Syed's, um his inner circle retreat, the first one they did. I know you were recently at his last one. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not sure if you stuck around for all three days, but at the end of the third day, usually uh, is uh, like, um, at least in this one, there was like a really vulnerable moment where a lot of people were just sharing uh, a lot of the things that they struggled with, whether it was mm-hmm. fitness, nutrition, and uh, it was kind of like, I, I kind of felt the urge to share my own. And, you know, basically what I shared with everyone was that like fitness and nutrition has never been like an issue for me. Like I grew up playing sports. I, I grew up sort of knowing how to eat roughly with nutrition, all that. But the, the biggest thing for me was vulnerability and, and, you know, working through my own mental health and working through my own anxiety, depression. And, uh, and I just kind of said how, like, it made me realize and appreciate, like, these little moments in life that we all share together. So my, my question for you 
is, you know, and I know you've, you've lived many lives already, you know, since, mm. especially since the dial up era, but what would you say is, uh, <laughs> is your little moment that sort of sticks out for you that has gotten you where you are to be the person you are today? Hmm. Inflection point. Um, <laughs> mm. um, maybe something really, really superficial. Mm-hmm. There are many things. I mean, but something that sticks out, like I never really liked the way I looked in pictures and, um, on video. I, but, uh, ever since I, I stopped drinking, I've been seeing pictures of myself and video of myself and going, Hey man, that, that, that dude doesn't look too bad, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think that's kind of a powerful thing. And I've been getting a lot of, of comments on how I look so much healthier and how my energy is considerably different. Um, and, and not just from, you know, people online, but, but people in real life as well. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's, it just kind of, um, it, it validates that what I did wasn't something, um, that I was, um, it, it wasn't a, it was a good decision. Okay. And so, yeah. and I, look, I still struggle with the idea that um moderation with all things sh- shouldn't include alcohol even even for myself mm-hmm. and 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 deep down i i truly feel like i could be moderate about all things including alcohol but and i guess this this is um ties into your question as well with certain things in life you you do have to take a hard line and I think for practical purposes and for the peace of mind of the people around me, my family especially, um, I think that being cold turkey without drinking has been something that fueled my my sense of discipline and, and uh, reinforced my sense of commitment. Uh, and, and so um, even though it, it might not be the best thing for everybody to do is quit cold Turkey with whatever they want to quit. Mm-hmm. It was, um, it was the right thing for, for me to do. Mm-hmm. And, and so I, maybe that, that's kind of like the major uh, shift or inflection point or a moment for me that, that, that really changed things in my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that, man. Well, I'm very proud of you. I think that's uh it's I, I quit drinking in in January this year too. But uh, like I said, for anybody who has ever struggled with it, like it's I, I grew up with family who struggled with like alcohol abuse and all that stuff too. So that when I say I'm very proud of you, I genuinely mean that. I think that's absolutely amazing, especially now that you've noticed it's you can reflect on and see not just your health and all that, but how it's had a bigger role in your life as well too. Um, so yeah, did you like quit quit? Yeah, quit, you, quit. <laughs> like you, 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 like you won't even have a, a a glass of champagne at a wedding type quit. Yeah, I quit, quit. Um, for me, Whoa. it wasn't. Uh, it was never. It was never like an issue. Like I, I was the kid in college who, uh, <laughs> if you were at a party, I had a jug of water with me, like just a gallon of water, just like drinking the water. Wow. <laughs> and I was usually the DD and all that stuff. But I think for me, growing up, seeing family members abuse it um sort of always being told like it runs in the family type deal and then also like never really enjoying it and and kind of being able to put it in a way where it's like well if I don't enjoy it if I don't if I'm not doing it for the right reasons I'm doing it just to be social or to talk to this girl or anything like that I get liquid confidence as the why am I really doing it you know in a way so uh so yeah so I just decided in January I was like I'm I'm done with it like I don't there's no need for it in my life and uh yeah. So yeah. So I quit cold turkey in January, no champagne at weddings or anything like that. Wow. That's super impressive. Because <laughs> I, I I quit because I because basically my, my life got like 
exploded, you know? Um, so, Hey, it was like a no brainer, kind of a no brainer (laughs) for me to quit because it was personal and professional disaster. Um, but for you to not have experienced that and just quit anyway, I mean, that's a, that's a smart dude right there. (laughs) Well, don't put me on a a saint pedestal. (laughs) Far smarter than me. You know, I waited until I was ready to get my freaking net cut, you know, my head cut off and then, then I quit. Um, but yeah. yeah, good, good for you, man. Good for but, you. But, but good for you too. I mean, regardless of how anybody gets there, like I said, like you're here and it's awesome. So I, I'm, I appreciate you sharing that little moment. Um, sure. Where, where can people find you? Um, you know, how, how do they find Alan Aragon? My social media handle is the Alan Aragon and that's on Instagram, which is my biggest platform. Um, uh, as well as Twitter or, uh, Hey, it's X now. That's right. Um, <laughs> sure, that's tough. <laughs> tough. Tough year. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, bro, you know. <laughs> um, a lot of change. I'm, okay, I'm occasionally on, on Facebook too, but um, you, you can find me at alanaragon.com. That's, that's where you find all my stuff. Mm-hmm. Um I do a monthly research review that, that the monthly research review trend in the fitness industry. So that's another first for me. Let's go. Um, and, uh, like you mentioned, I, I wrote a book called flexible dieting, wrote that a year ago, uh, almost to the, the week. Wow. Uh, and yeah, you can, is the main, main place that you can find me and my stuff. And I'm mostly, I think I'm mostly active on Instagram is what, what I'm going to guess since that's where my biggest audience is. Sure. Well, you can find the weed whacker in all those places. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dude, you are you are pure gold. You are pure gold. Look for him his next book. Um, but I appreciate so much, man. Thank you, like genuinely. Um, I'll stop the recording a little bit so we can just chit chat and go on our way. But uh, but thank you so much again. I appreciate you, and uh, I know it's gonna help a lot of people. Ryan, you are an amazing dude. Thank you. Thank you, brother.